We are at a time uh, in life and in our walk with God when in this church where things are crucial for the future. And I, I'm just telling you, I believe that uh, greater things lay ahead of us. Greater things lay ahead of us. We're in the midst of a time that is really in our generation unprecedented in the history of this church, that we are pressing in towards the mark of, of what we have asked God for, what we have prayed for. Uh, and that is not only just the relocation, the new building, but in paying the entire thing off in six years. It's an incredible feat that really took more than just us. <clears throat> it really took us partnering with God and letting God work through us to bring this to pass. Excuse me for a I'm struggling with my throat today, so we might have a short sermon. You might be happy about that. Um, but we are here today to celebrate presence and the power of God and our salvation. But we're also here to celebrate together because we are a church family. We are knit together by the power of Holy, of Holy Spirit. And because of our salvation, we share that common thread of the love of God, the presence of God in our life. And so, you know, things don't come easy in life, do they? They don't come easy. Uh, they don't just happen and come out. They take a lot of preparation, a lot of work. And uh, some things, uh, when the call of God comes, he tells us, I want you to do this. Now, we, some people say, I hear God's voice all the time. Like, you know, I don't know that we hear God's voice all the time verbally, orally. We hear God's voice through the ministry of the Word of God when the Holy Spirit anoints the Word of God, and He speaks to all of us through the Word of God. But there are times that the Holy Spirit <clears throat> prompts us to do things, that He opens up our eyes to see opportunities, that we open up our eyes because our hearts have been opened to Him in prayer, and God downloads, using a modern term, downloads into our spirit what he wants us to do. We see things that are not yet done, but we see things that he wants us to do to get done. Does that make sense? And so when we do that, we, we sometimes, before the miracle happens, sometimes there are obstacles that come in the way of doing what we know God wants us to do. Does that make sense? Okay, has anybody experienced that before? Okay, we knew that God wanted us <clears throat> to build a new building, and there was obstacles that came in our way. Do you remember those obstacles? You who were here with us. Some are watching online that were here with us. And you know that the obstacles came uh, with opposition from some of the people in the neighborhood, from the city. Okay, those were obstacles that were put in the way of what God wanted us to do. You know what? When we pray through those things, when we turn to the Lord, even though we can't see the, what's on the other side of this mountain that has been put in our way, God has a miracle on the other side. What do we have to do to get that miracle? We have to climb the mountain and go to the other side to see things from God's perspective. Now, is that making sense? Okay? Because I, I don't want to be confusing. Okay? I'm just tell, here to tell you today that whatever... God wants to do a great work. He assigns that great work to a people in that season of time. And he casts the vision in their hearts. He gives them the seed of vision to see what God wants them to do. And when the enemy knows that God is up to something, he is not omniscient. 
Not all wise, not all knowing. He is not omnipotent. He is not all powerful. He is a created being, a fallen angel, and he is certainly not omnipresent, although he would love to deceive you so that you believe that he is all those three characters that is only God. Those attributes belong to God alone. And so, but he does stir up trouble. Has anybody had trouble stirred up by the enemy? Okay. Uh, when God wants you to do something great, the enemy senses something is going to happen. He does not know exactly what that is yet. He doesn't know what it looks like, but he's a pretty sharp character. He knows that if God gets his way in this, then he's going to raid, and the people of God are going to raid the gates of hell and capture souls that I want to take to hell with me. I, I'm trying to, to tell you here that Jesus tells us to do things. Now, in our text today out of Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and you see a picture of Rembrandt's drawing of the crossing of the Sea of Galilee, across the lake, uh, and, and the, Jesus, after a, a lot of teaching about the kingdom of God, uh, he, he's, he tells the disciples, you know, they send the people, and he says, it's night, he's tired, he's been teaching all day. Maybe he had a little bit of a throat thing going on, I don't know. But he said, uh, let's get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake. Okay? Uh, I don't know about you, I think traveling at night on water is beautiful. It's, it, as long as it's calm. I don't like rough seas. Now, I've been in the boat with Jared when it has not been calm. Right, Jared? You remember those? I remember a boat when my daughters were home, my two youngest daughters, and one was hanging over the side, and your mother was saying, give it up to the sea, honey, give it up, you know, because the waters got really rough, and white caps were coming, the boat was rocking, uh, the other one was green, my other daughter was green, I mean literally green, and, uh, we, and, and we went back. One of the, the only time I ever remember Jared going back, you know, so we went back to shore and got off, and uh, it was rough waters. We were supposed to go to the other side. We didn't make it. The disciples are told by Jesus, get in the boat, let's go to the other side. What does Jesus do? He gets in the boat, gets in, and he falls asleep. He's tired. See is his glass when they leave, but in time, there's a huge storm that comes, a huge windstorm comes, and whitecaps come. Now, Rick Renner writes about this in Sparkling Gems, and he says that any time that you are on the, listen to this, Anytime you're on the front lines of battle doing something significant for the kingdom of God, the enemy's attacks against your life will escalate, right? I'm, and he says, I'm not trying to tell you, I'm not telling you this to scare you, but to mentally equip you that, uh, that, uh, that way when the attacks do come, not if they come, but when they come, you won't be taken by surprise. Now, Jesus came under this kind of intense attack when he was crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples on the way across the lake where God was going to do a miracle. Jesus was going to meet a man who was terrorizing the countryside, a man who was desperate, a man who had, we don't know what he did, to open up the door so that the demonic spirits could invade his life and destroy his life and those around him. But we do know this. We know that when Jesus got into the boat and he said, let's go to the other side, Jesus knew that there was a miracle on the other side, and so did the devil. He knows wherever God is going that that is a dangerous place for the kingdom of darkness because he will bring light into that region. 
This was a dark spiritual reason, a culture given over to uh, every kind of imaginable thing. And Jesus is on the way to the other side to cast out a legion of demons out of the demoniac of Gadara. This demon-possessed man was an important weapon in the arsenal of Satan. And though the actions of the demoniac of Gadara, the devil, through the actions of the demoniac of Gadara, the devil held the countryside hostage, a nation, a region hostage with fear for a long time. The demoniac was so legendary that people throughout the entire coastland region knew who he was. They didn't want to meet up with him. They just knew who he was. And the devil knew that if Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee that night and reached the other side, he would cast the demons out of that man. And when that happened, Satan would lose the weapon that he had used to terrorize the entire countryside. You know, the devil likes to terrorize people. He likes to try to destroy their lives. He likes to have them live in fear of him, thinking that he is all-powerful, and he is not all-powerful. There is one who created him that is God the Father and Christ the Son of the Holy Spirit. So as Jesus and his disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee that night, attempted to, suddenly, say suddenly, just out of nowhere, all of a sudden, there was this incredible, violent, destructive winds that blew up and seemed to come out of nowhere to try to capsize the boat that Jesus and his disciples were in and to drown them and his disciples in the middle of the sea, as if he could. He had no power over Christ, except God would give power uh, for his uh, uh, betrayal and arrest and trial and crucifixion. Uh, And there arose this great storm of wind. Now, Jesus' statement, the first point is he made a statement. And it was evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, our text says, and he said this, let's cross the other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind, uh, although other boats were following him. You ever know where Jesus goes? Everybody wants to go. Uh, You know, just, just a thought. When we have Jesus in our heart and we are reflecting the character and the love of Christ, you know, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, people will want to go where you go. They will want to know where do you go to church? What makes you tick? Why are you different? I'm just throwing that out for free here. But here's the thing. Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. And when Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake, he's not giving it as a suggestion or we're having a little meeting here. I'm chairing the meeting. Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. Anybody have anything? Is there a motion? You know, he doesn't take motion seconds. We don't have discussion. We just do what Jesus says. It's a kingdom, not a democracy. It's a kingdom of God, and there is a king. Somebody say amen. Now, here's the deal. It's been a long day. Everybody was weary, not just Jesus. Yet Jesus calls for more commitment. I don't know about you, the longer I'm in the ministry and I see God's people, my staff, I see, you know, volunteers, department heads, I see, you know, sometimes what we are doing for God and for outreach requires greater commitment. Everybody gets tired. I don't know about you, but leading up to uh, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, uh, it was a long process, and Deanna worked her head off. I mean, she coordinated the event and was the liaison between the evangelists, Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. I'm so proud of her. She did a great job. Uh, she, she saw all the advertising and everything. So thank you, Deanna. God bless you. 
and, and, uh, and we appreciate that so much. But the staff, I said, you know, to the staff, and months and months before, even a year before, is that this is all hands on deck. Everybody has to commit. And I called the congregation to commitment, something that is a dirty word in today's culture. But Jesus calls on commitment. Sometimes when we're really tired, he says, I want you to give it a little more. That's how this church building got built, by the way, with the volunteers helping. More commitment, long hours, uh, pain in our backs and our legs and our feet. Everybody did what they could with the capacity that they had to give. And that's, that's what Jesus just calls for, more commitment. And, and uh, leading up to that, I mean, I tell you, uh, it, it was tough, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and schedule was tight, and I'm looking ahead. I've learned a long time ago is not to dread the events because there are a lot of work and a lot of stress. And I used to, years and years and years ago, used to think, oh, I'll be glad when that gets over with. Because, I, oh, just be glad we're looking back on that. And I thought, uh, Holy Spirit quickened my heart one time, and he said, you need to... Quit wishing your life away and start enjoying the process. Enjoy the journey. Have fun. And I would always think, well, what if? What if it doesn't pan out? What if? By the way, Heaven's Gate Sells Flame had well over average, I mean, total attendance for the three nights of way over 600 people. First night, 256 people here. I mean, it was an incredible event. And uh, 15 to 20 people on average would come to the altar on night on average, you know, my recollection of that. And, and many, many people got saved for the first, I mean, committed to Christ the first time. One guy, big, great big guy, looked like a, could be a linebacker, and he looked at me and he says, uh, I want to get baptized tonight. You know, I go to church, but I have never seen anything like this. Now I know, I understand. I prayed tonight, I want to, and I said, well, where do you go? Yeah, you go to church. Well, you tell your pastor what you did. See, that's the thing. Many people from other churches came here, but they got saved. I mean, that's glorious, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? And so, and so it was tiring, though. But I, and through this, and I told Deanna this, I said, you know, let's enjoy the journey. Let's have fun. I mean, it's, yeah, it's stressful. Yeah, there's long hours, but let's have fun. And, and so, but leading up to it, I will tell this, and we have another big event coming, two weeks, burning the mortgage, huge event, and, and but I'm looking forward to it, and I'm going to celebrate through it. Is it stressful? Time? Yes, but it's fun. Can I tell you this? Let's back up a little bit. October 10th, uh, last weekend, and then uh, that ended on Tuesday night. We had Wednesday night service. And then Friday, I had a wedding rehearsal, and then had a wedding yesterday. That took a good part of the day. And then back here on Sunday. So, but back up from there. Let's go backwards. Yeah. Okay, going back into August, we are going to, after the 2020 of COVID, we're full speed ahead. We're going to do our VBS sports camp. We're opening back up to win children for Christ. And then I go to district council, or general council in Florida. I come back and get off the plane, find out after I get back that I have COVID, I'm sick, okay? So I'm off for the week, and then I didn't die, by the way. Thank God for that. Huh? Yeah. I'm glad. I don't know what you are. <laughs> but then, then heading forward, we find out that COVID broke out while I was in Florida. I get a, uh, some text from Tony and phone calls, and I'm in a business meeting, and, and it's like, we're going to have to shut down VBS, you know, the COVID outbreak. Pastor Mike is sick. Christy's sick. You know, the kids are sick, and several of the adults that were volunteers are sick. And then we start questioning, okay, are we going to have 
are we going to go forward with Heaven's Gates? We have to spend, we've already spent, I don't know, $1,500 at least on materials and marketing stuff. Are we going to pay for the 4,000 direct mailings now? We have to decide. Hey, can I, what's going on? We got out on this boat in 2021. COVID is over. Vaccines are out. People are getting vaccinated. Some people, some not. That's their choice. I get out. I got vaccinated. Got out on the boat. Water is just like glass. It's like, oh God, this is different than last year. Okay, but all of a sudden, there's a squall. There's a wind. And it comes in like a flood, and it starts to rock the boat, and it starts to make us question, are we going to make it to the other side? Okay, are we going to make it? You know, just going through this, and I've been serving God long enough to know that whenever God is about to do something great or extraordinary, the enemy sniffs the air, and it's almost like God's going to send a refreshing rain on a drought-stricken area. And you know how you can smell the rain coming? And it smells so good. The enemy smells the rain. He doesn't know what it's going to do, but he knows something's up. And he begins to rock the boat. He tries to get people to be afraid and back off. To back away from what God has called us to do. Now, Jesus experiences, he, what is, is Jesus' word? He's sleeping in the boat. You know, <laughs> he's sleeping. You know, title of my message is, Don't You Care? Okay? You know, it's been a long day for everybody, and they're weary, but Jesus asked for more commitment, and when Jesus prompts us to do something, it's not a suggestion or even a request. It's a mandate, and when he, we obey the mandate, it is a benefit for us to obey. There is a blessing on the other side of the unreasonable or inconvenient call to action by the Lord. There's a blessing on the other side of it. And the disciples obey the Lord. They have learned to obey Him. Just we don't always understand what He's talking about. We don't know, understand the parable sometimes. We don't get it, some of the things He says. But we do know that we can trust Him. Okay? And the disciples obey Him. The disciples send the multitude away. There's no concerns about the weather might be because everything looks fine. And when Jesus makes a statement... The disciples got on the boat. They knew that if Jesus was on the boat too, it would be unsinkable. Listen, when you are in the boat with Jesus, in your boat of circumstances, your boat is unsinkable. You are safe in the boat with Jesus. Even though the wind may come up, the waves may rock you, do not be afraid because he's in the boat with you. He's not going to let anything happen to you when you're in the boat with him. Anything does happen to you, it's for your good. Now, uh, when God calls you to take a step of faith to do a work of God, he's in the boat with you. You don't have to be afraid. Secondly, Jesus made the statement, the disciples obeyed. Second one is there was a storm. Storms are a fact of life. You know, over the last, there was another thing, uh, rocking the boat, another thing, we believe a demonic attack on this church, on some of the leaders and some of the other things going on around here, lightning storms, like I've never seen in the 20 years I've lived here. There's like three big ones, one great big one and two other ones that were not quite as big within a matter of a week or so of each other. One was in a matter of days. It just blew things to like crazy. You know, burned out our breakers in the breaker box, some of them, and blew out the projector. That's why we have this beautiful new screen. Thank you, Isaac, for 
getting that and and uh, just many other things. I won't even go down the list that were burned out. The light poles at the end of the driveway, at the start of the driveway. I mean, there are things that we didn't know. What the electrical did blew out our landline telephones at our house, just fried them all, and we had to get new phones at the parsonage up here. I mean, just incredible what lightning will do. Well, he is. What is Jesus? What, is, what does the word say? Satan is. He's the prince and power of the air. You know, he he, he blows up a storm. And he can blow up some doozies, can't he? And so that's what the text says here in verse 37. But soon a fierce storm came and high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. And Jesus was sleeping. See that? Jesus was sleeping. How dare he go to sleep when we're facing trouble? He was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. He had a pillow. Who puts a pillow on a boat back then? I mean, yeah. the disciples woke him up shouting, Teacher, Rabbi, don't you even care that we're going to drown? Don't you care? They were bailing water as fast as they could, and the more they bailed, the more water came in. And, you know, Rick Renner says that the language from the Greek indicates that this was a total blindside by the, of the disciples. They didn't expect this, didn't see it coming, and they were experienced fishermen. They were used to being on the sea. This storm arose out of nowhere. The Greek indicates that the size of this storm was enormous in scope. The word wind in the Greek literally means that this was a turbulent, terribly violent wind. The word also can be translated into hurricane, cyclone, tempest, gale, windstorm, a furious, furious tempest, or a fierce squall. And therefore, we know that the storm that came against Jesus that night was no small breeze. It was formidable, crushing, overpowering, and the storm was dangerous and threatening, and the disciples were afraid. You know, when they left, everything was peaceful in the ship with Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I got saved, it was peaceful with Jesus. And I prayed to receive him as Savior. That 14-year-old boy was in turmoil. He was on like that boat that was being rocked back and forth with threatening of drowning in all the trouble that I had in my life. And when Jesus came in, peace be still. And that sea of circumstances in my life became like glass. I was on the, just, just peaceful. But you know what? The devil likes to rock our boat. And he likes to try to get us to turn back and recant our faith. He likes to get us to say, like the disciples, Jesus, don't you even care about what I'm going through. Can I just say that in today's time, things happen in life. We don't live in heaven yet. Anybody know that yet? I mean, we, in this world, Jesus said you will have trouble. There's going to be storms that are coming to your life. You may think everything's going peaceful. I remember back uh, probably 44 or 45 years ago, we had a very peaceful life. We were happily married, newlyweds, had our first baby. Baby is nine months old, and between the time of the baby's birth until then, there were little pockets of storms, you know, little things indicating that my wife wasn't well. And suddenly, after nine months of going to the doctor, we finally found a, a clinic, a university health uh, care in uh, Kansas City, that finally diagnosed her as having fourth-stage cancer. And, and our world fell apart because back then, when somebody said cancer, you knew they were going to die. And I got a nine-month-old baby... I'm going to be a widower at the tender young age of 22, back when I was skinny. 
and, and our whole world fell apart. And you know what I asked Jesus? Don't you care? How could this happen? Don't you care? You know what I found out? I found out he does care. And you know what I found out? I found out that, and this is the true thing, that even if he would take her home to heaven, that he still cares. And I came to that realization in the back of my route truck one day when he said, if I choose to take Donna to heaven, will you still trust me? Will you still believe that I'm a God who heals? And those words came to me so clear. And I said, but God, why wouldn't you heal her? And then the same words came back. He, I've done that to the Lord before, and he repeats things back to me. I used to do that with my kids. Well, we're children of God. And, and then he told me, will you still trust me? Will you still believe? And I said, yes, God, I will. And I thought, well, she's going to die. Okay, it's over. But then he healed her instead. You know, you know what I think? I don't know if the devil, I don't know how much he knows, and I'm not going to give him credit he doesn't deserve. But my wife got healed. We made it to the other side of the shore. Okay. She raised our, our oldest daughter. Um, within a year and a half, I think, something like that, we had our second oldest daughter. We had our third oldest daughter later. Then we had six years between them, and we had uh, uh, five and, uh, four and five. Every one of those girls is serving God passionately. Four of them are married to pastors and serving in ministry. And Lisa is still single. She's teaching in a Christian school, impacting lives, and she is heavy into missions. See, there's a miracle on the other side of your storm. That's all I'm trying to tell you. You know, we don't know what it is yet, but God does. He's omniscient. He knows the end before the beginning. He knows the last chapter of the book of your life. You don't know it. And sometimes you get in the middle of the book of your life and you think this is a tragedy. This is a book that I don't like to read because it is a tragedy. It's a tearjerker. But when you let God finish and put the period at the end and the end at the end of your life in this world, you will find that there is a miracle on the other side of every tragedy every trial, every difficulty that you will ever face. God does not leave us as orphans. Jesus said, I will come to you. I will send my spirit and he will comfort you. He will help you. He'll come alongside of you and he'll help you through the trials and the storms of life and he will bless you with direction and wisdom. This is God. There's a miracle on the other side of every trial we go through. We don't know what it is yet, but God does. God does. I said, God knows, and he wants us to trust him to take a step of faith to reach out. There were two, two little Pentecostal ladies back in 1927, actually 26, who had a vision from the Spirit of God to start a church. It wasn't just any church. There were churches in the community, but there was no Pentecostal witness and they stepped out in faith, and they believed God. And what became Calvary Church was born. 
I, I was just talking this morning in the pastor's class, and we go through the history, the long history of the church, and there were times in the 30s, the Depression, when things just fell apart. People, because of job losses, they relocated, moved away, that were members of the church. They were down to just, Marge, you, you were there, your, your mother, founding member of this church. And, and they saw the discouragement. John Ken Goffin's dad told me this before he passed away, and he said they were so discouraged they wanted to just fold up and quit. But then they got a word from the Lord each time, a prompting of the Holy Spirit that it's rough waters right now, and I'm going to paraphrase that using the text, that we're in a storm right now. It seems like we're going to drown. This boat's going to sink. This boat, this vision represents the vision. It's going to sink. The devil's going to have his way. But then they believe God. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus gets up and speaks, okay? They take the step of faith to continue. And you look into the 50s, built their first beautiful building on Kearney Avenue, modern building back then, beautiful building. Added on to it in the 80s. Built a fellowship hall in the year 2000, dedicated to the Lord, to the glory of God. And then, and then we're here. Progression led by the Holy Spirit. Now, back then, there was a storm going on. The depression was the storm shaking the boat. But Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Okay? We're going to the other side. When Jesus says, we're going to the other side, you're going to the other side. Okay? Don't buy into the lie that the devil has for you. We're going to the other side. You know, uh, Jesus... Uh, right here in this situation was on the brink of one of the greatest miracles of his ministry. And at the same time, there was the devil. The devil's a real person, by the way. He's not a figment of your imagination. Uh, there was the devil, fearing that he was about to lose one of his highly prized assets in terrorism. And it was that exact moment that this violent, destructive turbulence came down on Jesus and his disciples. The occurrence of the storm at this exact moment was not an accident any more than sometimes the storms that come in your life are not an accident. The devil didn't want Jesus to reclaim and save and redeem this man. I think one of the reasons Jesus was called the other side is because I think this man who was in torment, this demoniac, possessed by a legion of demons, was so desperate and so much torment that maybe in a moment, this is just what I think, in a moment he cried out, oh, God help me. That he was tired of his life. He was tired of living for the devil. He was tired of being in torment. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Sin can seem to be real fun at first, but the further you go into it, the more bound up you become. The more in bondage you are to your vices. You think, I can just take one hit of this drug and then I just enjoy it once. Well, you don't realize that sometimes that's just the bait on the hook and the devil begins to reel you in. You can try out this perverted sexual activity and just to try it out, see what it's like because you're tempted and then you're hooked and you're being reeled in. See, But Jesus is the bondage breaker. I said Jesus is the bondage breaker. He's the one who unhooks you from the devil's fishing line, 
when you call out to him. And this man, I believe, was tired of his sin. He was in bondage. He was in torment. He wanted an end to it. He didn't see a way out. But somehow, someway, I believe he called on, he maybe just said it, oh, God, help me. If there's, a, if there's a God, if you're up there, can you help me? And Jesus comes on the scene. You know, how do, I, how, do I, how do I think that? It's because when he landed on that shore, you read the next chapter, is this man, Jesus didn't have to go find him. This man came running to him and fell at his feet, screaming, demons speaking out of him, terrified by Jesus. And Jesus just said, shut up and come out. Shut up and come out. Okay? And that's what, that's what the devil has to He has to obey when we speak in the name of the authority of the Son of God. In today's times, the, the stuff still happens. The devil still attacks when he senses that God's about to do a great work in and through his people. And we are trying to do a work of God, and suddenly we become attacked by high winds and white-capped waves that threaten to sink us and thwart our efforts. We begin to, and we get attacked and we suddenly become in crisis mode and sometimes individually or even churches can go into a financial crash. We can have health difficulties personally or people in our congregation, our relationships become in trouble, marriages become to fall apart. But I can tell you something that we hold on to the horns of the altar. We continue to believe and know that Jesus is there with us, that the devil doesn't write the final chapter of our life, that that is God's prerogative. He is our creator God. He is our savior and he is our Lord. We are his children. We are adopted in his family. He calls us by name. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We belong to him, not to the devil. He has no authority over us. None. He doesn't have the power or the authority to even take your life one second, not a microsecond before God says, I want you to come home. Okay? We need to remember that trouble will come. I don't believe this name it, claim it, preaching and teaching that when you're a child of God, you study the Word and you know your authority in Jesus. I believe we should do all those things. But that does not mean that if you have the right confession that you're never going to have trouble. People who believe that set themselves up for shipwreck. I have known people over the years that were just given over to that kind of teaching. And I've watched one by one that when trouble came into their life and their name it, claim it, faith didn't make it go away, that they said, God must not be real, and they walk away from God. We need to get balance. Number one, there is trouble in this life. This is not heaven. Jesus warned us, in this world you will have trouble. But then he said the but word. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. See? I have overcome the world. There's bad news, good news, and the good news trumps the bad. Listen, we must do what the disciples did. They cried out for Jesus in the midst of their storm. When we are in trouble, cry out to Jesus. He cares. They were crying out, don't you care? But in, from their heart, they were saying, God, we need you. Okay? We need you. Third point. The authority of Jesus. Don't you know he has authority? 
He, he was a co-creator with God the Father, God the Spirit. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat, the text says, his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting. They were desperate. I think shouting because of their fear and their terror, but also shouting because of the noise of the wind and the waves. Don't you care that we're about to drown? Do you even care? And when, the wind, when Jesus woke up, what did he do? He sat up, got up. He rebuked the wind and the waves and said, silence, be still. Notice that next word up there. What's that say? Say it out loud. <laughs> suddenly. Just as suddenly as the storm started, even more suddenly, when Jesus got up and said, be, be quiet. The wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then, he, then they, asked, they asked him, he asked them, why are you afraid? Why were you afraid? Do you have no faith? You know, they say, well, Jesus, we were going to perish. We were bailing water. It was coming in faster than we can get it. What do you mean, don't we have any faith? Why were we afraid? You know, that's kind of a strange thing to say. But then the disciples afterwards, they started talking to myself. They're whispering, who is he? Who is he? You know, they thought they knew who he was. Okay. I, can I tell you something that I've learned? Is that the more I think I know about God and his character and his power, the longer I serve him and walk with him, I find out I don't know as much as I thought I did. His ways are past finding out, the scriptures tell us, that the more we know him, the more there is to know. I think throughout all eternity, which is time without end, time is a created thing to govern uh, things here on earth and create and what God created, but eternity has no time or space. You know, it just goes on and on forever and ever and ever, finite, infinite is even in all eternity, we're not going to even come close to even finding everything out about him, about God's character. He's just past finding out. He is so incredible. We thought we knew who he was, but who is he? Who is he? You know what I felt like when, when, when we got our miracle and Donna was healed? When, when I got my miracle and I was healed and, and, I, and I... Who is he? I didn't deserve this. We didn't deserve the miracle. I mean, we're not better than anyone else. I don't get it. I don't. Only God knows the whys. I, I, just, I just question the whys. God, why? But you know what? Just fall at my feet and worship him because of his mercy and his grace. I don't get it. See, and here's the deal. If my wife was taken, I would have worshipped God and believed, and if I had died, she would have continued serving God. That didn't, that's not the deal breaker, because there's heaven, okay? God writes the last chapter. Uh, we just get to enjoy the process of sojourning in this life with Jesus in our boat with us, that he's in the boat with you. We don't understand why storms come. We don't get it. Uh, when things get tough, we, we get tougher when we serve with God. Even if our faith sometimes is weak, God delights. His words from the Word of God delights in showing His strength in our weakness. When we are ignorant, we don't get it. You know what He delights in doing? 
is pouring his wisdom and his knowledge into our ignorance. Is he always, listen to this, always bridges the gap between where we are and where we need to be. He bridges the gap. And he helps us get through the storms of life. Now, I'm going to close with this. If you go to, it's not on your overhead here, I'm sorry about that. But if you take a look here at Mark chapter 5, 1, the first verse in the very next chapter. Very next chapter. What does it say there? So, they arrived at the other side of the lake in the regions of the Gerasenes. I, I like that first part. It just says, so they arrived at the other side. Well, what comes before that? The hermeneutical laws of biblical interpretation is to check out the context, what's before and what's after. We did that, okay, before this incident on the lake. Uh, let's check out what's after. After this incident of the storm, what happens? Jesus said at the beginning of our story, so let's get into the boat and go to the other side. The storm comes. They didn't think they were going to make it. And you get the first verse of the next chapter, so they arrived at the other side. I don't know about you, but I like that. Listen, what Jesus says you can do, you can do. You say, but I can't. If he says you can do it, he will equip you to accomplish what he has called you to do in this season of time that will accomplish his purposes, that you don't maybe understand what his purposes are, but our part is just to obey and just do what he tells us to do. Does that make sense? And so let's, let's keep Jesus in the boat with us. Okay? When the storms of life come, not if they come, but when they come, let's make sure we remember that he is in the boat with us. Something else we need to remember in the time of desperation, when the storm hits and we're blindsided by the wind and the waves, let's remember that he does care. Don't you care, Jesus? Yes, he cares. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't left you. You're not going through this alone, even though sometimes it may feel like it, but he's not. He is with you. His Spirit is in you. His promises are to you, and they are yes and amen. And you're not going through it alone because you also have a church family, brothers and sisters in Christ, that come alongside of you to help. And we should be coming alongside each other with intentionality to help one another in times of need, to encourage one another. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. Can I just say in conclusion that you can rest assured that Satan will certainly try to attack you with unexpected turbulence from time to time, and that his attacks against you will probably escalate whenever you're right on the edge of a spiritual breakthrough, as was the case of Jesus that night? That's just a fact. The devil doesn't have any new tricks up his sleeve. He's the same old devil, same old tricks. He doesn't have any innovation or creativity to do anything different than he's always done. But I can tell you that just as that event provided an opportunity for Jesus to demonstrate his power and authority in that situation in front of his disciples when that demonic attack came, he has the opportunity and the authority to rise up and take authority over your situation as well. He wants to help you. And I'm going to ask that as we close in prayer uh, that the anointers would come to the front and are ready to pray with you about Maybe something you're going through or maybe someone in your life, your family is going through that you say, 
uh, to the anointer, to those who are praying with you. Could you just pray with me and agree, you know, this is happening in my life. Okay. We need to remember our friends. Now, some are shut-ins. We need to remember them that can't be here, can't attend church any longer. We need to remember um, our friend Barb and Jerry. We need to remember our dear, beloved friend, uh, Ken and Gloria. We need to remember others who are struggling. Uh, Adrian Walker, who's had a series of strokes or stroke, is in getting better but needs touch of God. And others. Can't name all of them. Patrick Beeland. Uh, just others. But, you know, there's a God who cares. He cares. He cares about you. And so let's stand, and shall we, as we pray? Um, and let's pray. And let's come by faith to the altar tonight. Father, thank you for your promises. Thank you for your demonstration of caring. That, Lord, you don't just say you care, but you do something. You come alongside of us and you help us. And you comfort us. And you lead and guide us into truth. And God, you do, you're still the God of miracles. You can still speak to the wind and the waves, whether they're figurative, Lord, uh, allegorical, or whether they're real. Lord, because you control all of nature. The God who created nature controls nature. And so, God, you have authority over all the power of the devil. And so, God, Lord, where he has been interfering and causing havoc, Lord, we pray that you would rebuke him. And, uh, God, you would show him the boundary lines of his territory. God, give him an eviction notice. Lord, give him a pink slip. Lord, he's fired. Lord, he can't do this any longer. So, God, we pray for those in need today, those in the, in the boat in the storm, that, God, you would arise in their situation and you would rebuke the wind and the waves. Do the miracle, God. You're still a God of miracles in the 21st century. And so, God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.